From Park Avenue, New York to the Bund in Shanghai, Kim Letts created Parklu, the leading Chinese KOL, our key opinion leader, platform. The data-driven tech company gives luxury brands the keys to unlocking the potential of influencer marketing in the world's largest luxury market, China. Discover what influencers you should be following today on Billy Billy, how Kim arrived in China without speaking a word of Chinese, and how to grow and scale a successful startup like Kim has with Parklu, which was recently sold to tech giant Launchmetrics. Tech Powered Luxury is proud to be sponsored by Seabody, an Irish-based tech-powered beauty and wellness brand. Seabody has developed a unique next-gen approach to seaweed-based skincare and supplements. Luxury powered by technology with innovation at its core is exactly what this podcast is about. Find Seabody on Instagram or at seabody.com to discover their innovative products. Hello and welcome to Tech Powered Luxury, your weekly podcast dedicated to the intersection of the luxury and technology industries. The goal of each of these episodes is to bring international and actionable insights to people passionate about the luxury and tech industries. For today, we are very lucky to have the incredible Kim Letts with us. Kim's story is international, tech-powered, it's entrepreneurial and super insightful for anyone interested in the role of influencer marketing for luxury brands, especially in China, which is the biggest luxury goods market globally. Kim is founder of Parklu, an influencer platform, CRM tool, and much, much more, which was acquired by Launchmetrics in November 2020, and she is now the managing director of APAC for the company. So, Kim, welcome. Excited to be here. Thanks, Ashley. And very excited about all the other upcoming episodes on this podcast as well. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think for me, the biggest experience so far with launching the podcast has been I have learned so much, which is incredible because I also get to ask all the questions to amazing people like yourself that I've always wanted to know the answers to. But to get started, I would like to ask you quite a broad question. Um, who are you and what led you to where you are today? Wow. The the, the Big important question. <laughs> so I'm 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 an American-born entrepreneur. I actually grew up in Austin, Texas, and went to Wharton and studied finance, and found my way to China 12 years ago. So I took the leap from um, very passionate about the industries of consumer retail, where I did investment banking, investing in a hedge fund, and landed in Shanghai with the intent to start a tech-driven business. It was one of those startup stories that includes pivots and turns. And part of it, at the core and center of it, was the universe of KOLs, who at the time were called bloggers, influencers, as you know them today. Um, my journey to start Park Blue originally was built around having my own microblog on Weibo, which at the time was like the most popular uh, social media platform in China. And so that's how I discovered the community of creators and KOLs, and that's how I went on to raise um, initial rounds from investors and build Parklu, which is basically both um, uh, KOL analytics platform monitoring and now is part of a broader offering within Launchmetrics. Incredible. Um, I have to admit, I'm a super fan of Parklu and I have been for many, many years. So when back when I worked for LVMH and I was just starting out my career at the crossroads of digital technology and luxury, I knew that China was going to be key. And at that time, it was it was still quite early, 2015, and the understanding of China and the digital ecosystem in the East was relatively low at the headquarters of luxury brands. And I thought, OK, this is something that I've got time to learn about. And Parklu was a really educational platform for me because of all of the amazing reports 
that are created by Parkloo and all the insights on the website. So thank you, because it was a fantastic educator in terms of all the insights that were constantly being shared. And I'm sure that the impact that you've had on the industry has been really, really high and far beyond what, what can be measured as well from all the different people reading these insights and resharing them internally. So I know you're an expert on both East and West. You really embody the concept of someone who is a global marketer and a global business person. I'd like to focus a little bit more on the East side of things today, because I think our listeners will want to learn about that and understand how they can engage with KOLs. Maybe people haven't even heard of the term KOL before. So yeah, it'd be great to get your perspective on what are the main differences between platforms in the East and West and this, you know, KOL industry per se. So for, for those of you who are new to the term, KOL just stands for a key opinion leader. So actually in the whole uh, China universe, there are key opinion leaders who can be just like as you think as top tier or macro influencers with millions of followers, or they can be micro influencers. So micro KOLs or even what we call key opinion consumers who might only have a few thousand followers or fans. Um, and then a more recent term in the China world is what we call KOS, which is key opinion sellers. So there's a lot of different K acronyms to, to cover that universe. I think one of the, the easiest or common misconceptions between what is what are KOLs in China versus the rest of the world is to kind of simply understand it in the context of the social media platforms themselves. So um, as a user of both Chinese and outside of China platforms, uh, we tend to make analogies, right? So there are the obvious ones like uh, TikTok and Douyin are the same company. So I, it's it's easy to understand that okay, this is a video, a content driven app, and but there are some key differences that lie and beyond just the content level. So as an advertiser or brand advertiser on Douyin, right, which is the TikTok of China. Um, you can actually see hundreds of data points in terms of what those KOLs uh, impact, both in terms of what products they're recommending, how much volume and sales they're driving, and what kind of commissions they're doing. So there, there's this whole level of uh, digital marketing data, e-commerce-driven data that exists in China, depending on the platform, that doesn't that probably exists, but not isn't widely or openly used okay. um, in other parts of the world, just to give an example. Yeah, super interesting. I think on the backdrop of all of that, you have things like understanding the KOL universe and ecosystem, what drives it. There are like 40,000 talent agencies called multi-channel networks that manage and operate, you know, whether it's a third or 40% of like the top KOLs or even mid-tier and micro um, creators across these different social media platforms. So on one hand, you have, you know, the top social media platforms. So whether it's Doing right, which is TikTok, um, uh, WeChat, which for many people they, I guess the analogy is it's part it's part WhatsApp, but that it's so much more, right? Um, WeChat as a messaging app in China isn't just where you text message; it's also where you, you know, book a taxi, pay for your dry cleaning, order food. So you have these super apps that are more than just what the creators are doing. Um, and then you have platforms which are really important for fashion, beauty, and luxury brands like Xiaohongshu, which is called Red, um, Little Red Book, where it's only only 200 million by the active users. Um, but it's 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 more of a niche platform because it's you know it's 80% female. The content is yes, it's part YouTube, it's part Pinterest, it's part Instagram. 
Um, but behind all that, like content types that you can make those analogies on Western social is the fact that, again, you have these very robust um, create talent agencies that manage them. They have very sophisticated advertising platforms run by Red itself, where you can really see a lot of data behind these KOLs. And so um, it's not really a misconception, but being, being able to work with KOLs in China isn't just about, okay, yes, I can, I can nurture uh, an organic community, I can build positive relationships, but you also need to have the analytical background to really um, optimize your strategy in the market. Absolutely. So in China alone, there are 40,000 agencies managing KOLs. Correct. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. and, so, and, 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 and so some, some might have, you know, 10, 100 or thousands, right? So um, if, if you do kind of basic research on it, yes, you have the, the most well-known ones who represent the biggest names in the industry, whether it's Austin Lee, you know, the May One MCN. But then if let's say you want to do product seeding, you want to work with, call it a few thousand micro KOLs or yeah. key opinion consumers, you can go to an MCN for that. Okay. Right. And, and actually plug into that network. So it's big business. And for anyone listening that has not engaged with influencer or KOL or KO, whatever you like, um, marketing in the region, it's, it's really key, actually. And there are so many different platforms. And for people to understand what influencers or KOLs to work with, which platforms to engage with and at what level, it's really important to have the right partner. And the beauty of it is, as you've explained, you do have a lot of data afterwards to measure and understand what was successful and where did the success come from, which is actually really difficult on the Western platforms. You don't have as many data points. I would say the transparency isn't there in terms of where your value is coming from a lot of the time. So I think for people that are you know, considering launching campaigns and whatnot in the KOL ecosystem in China, that's something that at least it's very, very clear what has succeeded or not and to what and, extent. And these are absolutely the questions at, at launch metrics that we answer every day, Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with, 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 um, the data and the software, exactly. right. Um, being able to, um, okay. The burning questions are which social media platforms should my brand be visible at yeah. on. And it's, it's not as simple as let me understand what my competitors are doing because in China, it's not about what your direct competitors are doing. It's actually what the more innovative companies are doing. So if you're a luxury brand, yeah, actually looking at the other luxury brands, isn't always the answer. You're actually wanting to look at what are the Chinese domestic brands doing? Yeah. Right. So it might've been like last quarter, everyone was really focused on doing, and then you're suddenly saying, Oh, actually they're starting to do a lot of Billy Billy this, this month. Yeah. You know? So, so I think um, having the tools to to understand that is is also really critical in a market that's constantly changing. Yeah, I think that that's the only constant, right? It's it's change and the speed of change in China, especially when it comes to the different digital platforms, is so big. Um, but if we go back to your journey with Park Lu specifically, could you talk mm-hmm. us through how you went from having the idea of building this company to actually? launching it and then having this major acquisition from launch metrics. It'd be really interesting to hear about that journey. <laughs> so humbling. <laughs> um, I, I would say my early days, this is back in 2010 in Shanghai. I was really frustrated with um, the online shopping process. It, it, it's, it's, 
it's it wasn't very curated. Like if you're, if you're trying to buy things on Taobao, you know, the biggest e-commerce marketplace in China. Um, and so I was seeking out resources to recommend products to buy, how to get it. And, and that's how I started microblogging myself. And then like any creator, I was trying to grow audience and I was meeting other KOLs um, in real life <laughs> and, and realizing that there was tremendous like traffic and conversion happening. Okay. Um, from, from these like content collaborations. And so the journey of Parklu, which the name itself is, is actually Chinglish. It's, it's some mishmash of Lu meaning road and street in Chinese and, and Park Avenue, New York, which is where I used to live in New York. Amazing. <laughs> um, and uh, realizing that every time I was pitching a brand to do sponsored content and collaborations, they just wanted a list of bloggers. And that's what really got me thinking. I was like, this is a market where there's more than one social media platform. There's a new one every six months. Um, how do brands decide who they're going to work with? You know, how are they going to like monitor and, and analyze those campaigns? And that's actually what raised, you know, led me to raise money and build out the, the tech platform, you know, go find a CTO and so on and so forth. Um, and we, I was, Honestly, this was back in like 2014. I was early, so early. Yeah. At that time, brands were spending like a single digit percentage. And when I say single digit, I mean probably less than 5% of their budget on um, influencer. And it's yeah. very different now. And as, as we built out the business, you know, it, it evolved. And initially we were doing a lot of campaigns, but quickly once we built out our benchmarking tool, right, which is what we... Um, which is what we call insights and looking at being able to understand the channel mix and top tier versus mid tier and, and all those aspects um, of that competitive benchmarking. That's when we really started seeing brands really needed a place to figure out how to grow and to plan out their strategy and focus on not just on an annual planning basis, not just a quarterly, but on a monthly cycle. And so um, that's how we quickly gain traction, particularly with consumer brands, especially in the beauty space and fashion. Um, and that's kind of how it led to the, the path to large metrics. Actually, I think initially I was invited to, to, um, uh, speak at a LVMH internal, uh, um, it's a, I guess an internal innovation conference. Yeah. And, and that's where I'd met Michael, the, the CEO of launch metrics and it all wow. kind of went from there. Incredible. I love that story and I love the origin of the name as well. I actually didn't know where it, it came from. Um, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so it's uh, really bridging actually East and West in, yeah. in every shape and format. In the early days when you were you know, coming up with the concept of Parklu, were you focused on a specific platform at that time? And how did you avoid becoming too reliant on specific platforms or even specific influencers to continue to innovate and grow? It, well, there's always new influencers, right? There's always new KOLs. So initially we started on Weibo. Um, WeChat was very hot at that time. Brands were heavily invested in WeChat. Um, and even before Doing and Red were popular, we started tracking them back in like 2017. In fact, I remember we did an article. This is probably one of those reports you're referring to. Yes. We did an article on Doing and it went viral within like 
a weekend, like in two days, we're like, well, um, we don't me sharing with all my friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Ashley's extensive community. Um, um, and to this day, I still think it's one of our most popular pieces. Wow. And, and so, uh, I'm sorry, back to the question of how did we, we, we were never, it was never about, only featuring one social media platform. We were always yeah. looking for the next one. Um, okay. And and even now, we track social media platforms that are not necessarily available in our in our software, right? Because okay. we we because actually historical data is really important. Understanding yes. how the KOLs grow, understanding um, the affi- their affinity, like their historical mentions of brands. Like, are they like organically loyal to you? Yes, you know. Are they a good fit? Do they talk about similarly positioned products and brands? So um, we actually do quite a bit uh, before something is released and added to the platform. Fantastic. And for people who have maybe never been involved in the operational elements of an influencer campaign, could you talk me through the A to Z of you're a brand, you think you're going to launch a campaign. How do you leverage launch metrics are and Park Lou up until the point of the campaign goes live. What does that look like? I would say the first stage is always like the, the research and planning stage, right? And that's where I always thought of our software as being able to have case studies at your fingertips, right? So you, you might see that, okay, so-and-so brand uh, at, I don't know, Paris Fashion Week, they had these KOLs on the front row, right? So what was that impact? And we, we call that media, in, media impact value. So what was, what was the, the monetary value that we assigned to that post, that video, that engagement? Um, and then as an internal planning exercise, what are you trying to achieve as a brand? Yep. You're trying to outdo that? Or do you know that you have more limited budget? So you have more managed expectations. So I think the first step is that research phase. Um, and the beauty of whether you do it on like our Discover product or Insights is that you, you don't need to, you know, you, you don't need to go to your agency or spend a lot of time internally digging up that data. It is there if you know how to do, you know, kind of basic queries like you would on, on Google, for example. Yeah. So, um, so I think that's, that's kind of the first step is just like where understanding where you want to go. And for some brands, it's as simple as we're ranked number 10. We want to be number five. And, and you look at the numbers and you're like, okay, well, the brand ranked at number five, they have three times more um, KOL mentions than we do. Yeah. Right. And is it about the number of mentions or is it about the mix? Do I actually need, instead of having three times more KOLs, is it about having um, investing in some top tier relationships yep. and then and diversifying that with uh, a lot of um, micro and mid tier relationships? And so I think that's, that's the first step. Um, from there, it becomes on what content is really going to resonate. Yes. And, and this, this is, you know, I'll talk about more of this in a lot more detail, but Mm. I think understanding and as whether you're a creator or you're a brand, you both want some level of control or guidance on that. Right. Like as a creator, they want a hundred percent control of what the content is because they, they they know what's best, but from the brand, they may have certain, well, we want certain words used or certain, you know, um, visual and look elements. and feel aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a marriage of two very creative partners. And I think it's the human side that can be really challenging of finding that balance of, well, this is the message we want to portray with this campaign, but then the influencer and the creator, 
they need to stay authentic to their audience. And they know what their audience likes and what they don't like, even things down to color schemes and what they like to have featured on their feed. Um, it needs to be harmonious. So yeah, I, I, I understand that, that challenge for sure. <laughs> and the other point to understand is how sensitive the traffic algorithms are within these Chinese social media platforms. So something like um, Little Red Book, for example, if the the keyword density, the too many mentions of a particular brand, or you know, there's too many hashtags, they will just determine that this is a more commercial post mm-hmm. and therefore let, gets less traffic. Yeah. Right. And there are luxury brands now when they work with a KOL on certain platforms, they're like, don't even tag it. Wow. <laughs> because because the, the brands know that if they do that, that or that post will not get as much traffic as a purely organic post. Yeah. And it almost defeats the purpose of the collaboration. That's so interesting. And I think I'm seeing that more and more in my own feed. And I'm wondering why are influencers not tagging this brand or yeah. mentioning it? And it's true. Once you bring in that, you know, it's very clearly a, a partnership you're going to lose traction for it, not just because consumers are thinking this maybe isn't a product or a brand that the influencer is interested in, but also because the the algorithm's kind of squashing it. Um, so for a brand with a really high awareness that you can recognize right away, that's probably okay. They're happy to gift and to not yeah. be tagged. But for the smaller emerging, maybe brands with less awareness, that must be really challenging because they do want to be tagged and they do need to kind of have that brand uh, affiliation. And, and and that's why obviously the commenting and the community engagement becomes so important yeah. with that KOL, right? So if we, we, from, I didn't want to lose track of the complete question but from A to Z, you know, it's not just the creative brief that goes to the KOL, but then it's where a lot of things slip through the cracks is, um, is that KOL really engaging on every post? Is the brand yeah. engaging with yeah. all the fans' comments, right? <laughs> um, I, I've definitely seen lots of posts where they're like, where do I get this product? And there's like no response, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> there's just, it's hard when there's thousands of queries um, and, and just relying on just the, the KOL to respond to all that. It's, there's also some responsibility on, in terms of the brand community managers as well. Um, and then, of course, there's there's kind of like, the, the follow through all that and the kind of the campaign wrap up. Right. And that's, um, this is where we're really tempted, I think, as, as, um, marketers to make everything look pretty and like, this is what's amazing, but actually really take a hard look and really understand what worked and didn't work. And that's why having a benchmarking metric, you know, is helpful, right? Cause not all, not all engagement is created equal. Um, and so what I mean by that is, you know, you might have, I think the perfect example of this is um, you might have uh, a creator with half a million followers or you have the brand's owned social account, right? So let, let's say, let's take the case of Billy Billy. So they have their own social account with only has like less than 50,000. And then you have the KOL with half a million. Um, but actually in terms of the likes, the comments, let's say it's pretty comparable, Right. So is the value of each post similar or, you know, what, how do you weight that? And that's where using um, tools like media impact value and such really help look at things apples to apples, not to mention, right. When you're looking at things globally, how do I compare this doing post versus this TikTok post? Right. And then really being able to have a metric that says this account has fashion authority, this account doesn't yes and being able to weight that accordingly super interesting i mean 
I've been working on influencer campaigns um, on behalf of brands for almost 10 years now. And it went from sending a product to an influencer. You would want them to send it back to you, by the way. They're getting it to take a couple of photos or videos, but they're not getting to keep it. Not really knowing anything about it. We couldn't measure much back in the day, especially when it was blog based, because it was a lot of uh, blogging. So you don't see the likes, the comments, the, the interaction that you do on social to where we are today, where actually this is a one of the most key elements of any launch campaign for a major luxury brand influence, whether it's a KOL or an ambassador or a celebrity, it's so important now. And it's amazing that you had the vision already quite some time ago to build a platform that's uh, empowering brands and also influencers to make sure that they can develop, create, you know, a real business channel. And, and just to bring it full circle, there, when I was in the process of selling Park Glue, right, there were, there were a few options, actually, just to be totally candid. And what amazed me about Launchmetrics was that they have software to actually manage that product that goes to an editor that then goes to an influencer. And then within that product, you can also see what is the estimated media impact value, that impact that that particular piece of media or that KOL can bring and and being able to have one place for that is really powerful if we're, if we're talking about being able to manage a campaign from end to end absolutely and really know where you're supposed to put your resources and time yeah. yeah and i think it's becoming more and more mainstream actually the you know media value earned media value mm-hmm. this these terms we see it uh, after fashion weeks as well it's kind of a competition which brand had the highest earned media value and a lot of the time it's down to who created a viral moment yeah. and who had the most engaged with influencers present at their shows whether it was online or offline so yeah it's really interesting to see this this evolution Tech Powered Luxury sponsor Seabody uses state of the art blue biotechnologies and marine biodiscovery. Seabody includes the most potent and closest to nature molecules in their ranges of skincare and supplements. You can discover more about Seabody on Instagram or at seabody.com. But if we bring it back a little bit, because this is meant to be a very educational podcast as well, I would love to know a bit more about your own educational journey. So, as I mentioned in the intro, I actually started out in finance. I did a uh, mergers and acquisitions for consumer and retail brands. And that learning period of my career was really influential in understanding how brands grow and how long it takes them to grow. So actually, in the day and age of D2C, you can see things like grow in like three years. But back then, back then, and I'm really dating myself here, (laughs) back then, it it could take um, 10 years for a brand to kind of build through wholesale you know, and, 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 and have the right retail partners. Um, and so I had always been steeped in kind of what is the business and strategy behind building a consumer brand. And um, I even dipped my toe into being an industry. I worked at an American brand called Bill Blass out of New York for a period of time. Yeah. And so really kind of saw the full 360 degree view of what it takes from, you know, the positioning of a product and everything from the collection and the sales and all of that and the marketing side. Um, my journey into the tech space was, it, it had always been there. I, you know, I grew up um, in what we, in Austin, Texas, which is called Silicon Hills. And it, yeah. it is, it is more of a B2B <laughs> tech place. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it was only natural that I ended up in, in the kind of um, marketing and technology sphere as it was. 
I'd always been passionate about wanting to be an entrepreneur. Um, I had the good fortune of having some mentors um, early on who encouraged me to at least try to start a company. And it's nothing like you expect. I think the key to it has always been not being afraid to make mistakes and and just keep at it for sure. And in many ways, what I did was absolutely crazy. I just, so the podcast audience understands, I didn't speak Chinese when I moved to China. You know, I I grew up in the U.S. Um, The first thing I did when I got to China was spend, you know, just every day studying Mandarin. Um, and, And so I think really... Opening your eyes. I mean, I, I do encourage any founder to probably play in your home market for sure. China is not for the weak of heart. Yeah. And, um, and so, I, so I, think, I think for me, it's, it's always been about applying what you learn and, and putting it into a, a completely different setting for sure. And the way people had approached um, KOL selection and that whole evaluation process, I, I really took a very analytical approach from it. It was very much driven from my finance days, and and that's still how I look at it today. Really, really interesting. And I think it's great for people to know that you can come from any background educationally and move into the luxury or the tech industries, because that's a question that I'm getting a lot. How do I get my first experience in tech or my first experience in luxury? Is it down to a very specific degree that I should be aiming towards in a specific city? And actually there are so many different avenues. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, um, I, I didn't have a tech background at all, um, but I did, I mean, I did when I was building out my engineering team, I did seek out friends and peers who were tech people who were engineers by background. And I had them help me evaluate engineers in my CTO, right? Like I, I knew that I didn't have the expertise to, to, you know, to properly vet, you know, a technical co-founder. So I think it is important. You don't necessarily need to have that in your degree, but you need to um, build that network. Absolutely. Lifelong learning. <laughs> and it'll, it'll keep continuing, you know, when we have new platforms, now we're moving into web three. It's, I mean, it's the beauty of working in the tech space as well. It's going to continuously change. And I, I learned so much from speaking with Gen Z, my youngest brother, he's he's 17 now. When I see the way he interacts with the internet, it's completely different to how I would. And yeah, sometimes it's scary, <laughs> but it's also, it keeps it interesting. I I think having high school and college age interns is the best. <laughs> yeah. think- They're there to teach us now. The, yeah, the scenarios have changed. We, we, we no longer are teaching the younger generation. We're learning from them. <laughs> How do you use the internet? How do I use TikTok, Snap, all the different platforms they're on? It's, it's so different the way they engage. And it's really interesting to see. Um, but if we take it back to Park Lu and everything that you have, you know, developed and the way you've brought it to be this actually a global company today, uh, what's the thing that you're most proud of? I still get a lot of delight and joy when I get positive feedback from customers or employees, right? So as a, as a, as a entrepreneur hearing when employees really are able to grow for the company, right? Like they, they learn things that they didn't know about themselves. They've um, made like lifelong, you know, friendships and discoveries and, and growth. Right. I think, I think that still moves me. And then also hearing that, I mean, we've had some customers have been with us for years. Right. And, and, when you build something, right, obviously it's based off of user feedback and 
But sometimes you stumble upon something. They're like, oh, I didn't realize that was going to be used every day. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I think, I, I wish I could say it was like one particular feature, but honestly, yeah. it's, it, it, there are many different use cases within um, the software. And I mean, I guess I'm just proud of, I guess in some ways, the community we built, the community, which is, you know, our, our team, it's our, our brand customers um, and the KOLs themselves, right? We, we, yes. we have K relationships that, that span years, years now. Um, and even though we are, are long gone, many years away from when we were operating, um, offering like agency services to work with KOLs in China, um, we still very much maintain those conversations to really understand how things are evolving, right? Um, when there's a new app in China, that, you know, the first thing that app does is go recruit existing KOLs. Yes, yeah. To come over. And so we always hear about kind of, oh, this, this app could be interesting. They're being really aggressive with, with <laughs> bringing over, you know, these doing KOLs to their new platform. And, yeah. and so I think, um, I guess just being proud of the community that we've built and, and being able to nurture that and give back to that, to that whether Absolutely. it's through insights or the software we build itself. Yeah. Amazing. Sounds like community in yeah, all forms of your employees, of your clients, but also of the, the KOLs. And I guess that's, yeah. that's the trinity. Having all three of those happy and thriving and growing means the business is always going to be top of mind. Which was our initial vision for the company, which was to unleash unlimited opportunities for digital creatives. So it was always a broad mission that wasn't just for KOLs. It was also just for even our our own staff, right? Like yeah. um, who who themselves very much work in the digital economy, and it doesn't matter whether you're like an engineer or mm-hmm. you know an account manager. You yeah. you're being you're in a creative role. Great. Um, I know you're an expert on Chinese KOLs. You just mentioned it there as well. Staying close to the ground, getting feedback from them, having that open conversation with the KOL community is really key. For people who are less familiar with the KOL community in China, do you have any that are top of mind for you that could be your favorites, especially within the luxury fashion or beauty space that people could check out? Well, I I do know in the office, a a lot of the women like um, Jin's look, She's she's act, she's Chinese, but she's actually spent some time in Japan. Okay, and so for um for for those who actually prefer more Japanese style of makeup, you know, she's she's actually a she does a lot of makeup tutorials. Um, she's over thirty. It's very practical advice. Um, you know, so for so for some um beauty creators, there can be very like dramatic looks, and she's yes. just more of a like how to achieve that more natural, flawless, um, uh, makeup tutorial. So she's interesting. She was, she has over 400,000, uh, followers on Billy Billy. So Billy Billy, which emerged a few years ago was originally a platform for a lot of anime, um, uh, and graphic novel consumption. Yeah. And it is like YouTube, but the, the twist on the content is that uh, the fans' comments will actually stream across the video. So yep. when the creator is recording, doing a live feed, they can actually respond and reply to the fans' comments in real time. Yeah, and this is really unique to to uh, China because you know one character, one Chinese character, or two characters is a word, 
And if you tried to do that with Romanized languages, it would just like, you, you wouldn't be able to see anything on the screen because yeah. there's just too many characters per word. So it's, it's a very unique experience um, in China's social media. Um, and initially was quite young, um, but that teen high school age audience is now squarely Gen Z and their consumers and um, even luxury brands like Dior are on the platform themselves. So Billy Billy is an interesting platform to check out for sure. And another, uh, they were kind of one of the early ones on Billy Billy, more of fashion influencers is Aha Lolo. So it's a, it's a duo that went to Central St. Martins and they do very in-depth critiques of runway shows, explaining the brand history and, uh, you know, kind of give their rundown uh, of fashion weeks and such. So, you know, they're, and they're not just only on Billy Billy. They're also on um, Little Red Buck with probably over Great. maybe quarter million followers and such. Yeah. And I know that a lot of the platforms in China may seem quite niche, like having this different approach of more of an anime focus, having the characters across the screen, Little Red Book. It's all about um, user-generated content, but actually the audiences are so engaged. And when they go to that platform, they go there for a reason because they want to yeah. consume that type of content or they're in market for specific products and they want to have reviews about it or they want to learn, discover what whatever it is. So engaging with these types of KOLs with a niche type of content creation and audience is so powerful. And I think brands also need to keep an open mind when they come to these influencers because they have their way of working and they have their style and they know what their audience um, wants to learn about, which is really different to the way it works in the West where everything is dominated really by two or three platforms now. And I think it, it's hard to differentiate across those platforms today. So yeah, it's really interesting to see in, in China how, how everything has evolved. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see what happens in the next kind of months, especially when travel comes back and we have right. Chinese consumers again in Europe and across the rest of the world. It's going to be incredible. <laughs> Everyone's waiting. The whole industry is waiting. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a big change. Um, but Kim, to kind of close um, our session today together, I wanted to ask you one last question, and it's really. Uh, to help people who are within the space and maybe want to upskill or know that there's a gap in their knowledge. If there was one skill that you could recommend industry insiders to work on today, what would it be? It can be anything. It can be a hard or soft skill. Um, I don't know if this is like a formal thing you can learn, but to me, it's always been about what I call creative analytics, really learning how to analyze content in a very logical way, if that makes sense. Yep. So we, we, it's very easy to respond to visuals in, a, in aesthetically, Yes. right? But being able to associate and actually analyze content in a very like, okay, good, bad, good, bad. And then what are the patterns on the content that works well? So let, let's call it content analysis, creative intelligence. We're actually kind of internally working on this from an R&D perspective, but being able to be aware of our biases is one of the most important skills that you can develop in any industry or any profession. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're in PR communications, marketing, et cetera, really taking a step back and being able to understand what your bias is when you're making a decision. And I don't know, I guess that's a soft skill. <laughs> that's um, super interesting. Um, yeah, I actually, I did some training on this when I worked at Google okay, because they're really focused on helping people discover, do they have unconscious bias and then tackling those. 
but I've never thought of it in the perspective of looking at content, whether it's from brands or from creatives or whatnot. And that is super, super interesting to hear. And why, why do you think that's important? Actually, that'd be good to know. Why do you think that's something that everyone should work on? Well, I, I, I think, and at the most elemental part of our discussion, which was how do you, you know, when you're running a campaign with a KOL, how do you decide who you want to work with? Yeah. And so our bias is to choose the ones who visually fit with our brand. Yeah. Right. Or that is a bias, right. Mm-hmm. That, that occurs often when you're dealing with a market like China, sometimes you have to step out of that comfort zone yeah. and be aware of your bias. Right. Um, you know, beauty aesthetics, might be different. And, you know, so, th- so there's a whole range of reasons there, but I think it's a fundamental skill that everyone should have. <laughs> Absolutely. I think if we yeah. all worked on that, we'd have a much more inclusive industry and not just from the tech side of things, but also in, in general, in, uh, in the way that we work. Amazing. That's, well said. that's an amazing answer. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of food for thought. Um, Kim, thank you so much. That's been a, like a wonderful masterclass really on everything to do with KOLs and how this has evolved over the years. And I think people are going to learn so much from this, whether they're already active in China or not. There's there's so much uh, to learn, but also I think in the next months when we have Chinese travelers back traveling around the world, they're the number one global shopper when it comes to luxury goods. They're super, super important. That's why I wanted to have you on today to share your story, to talk about Parklu, Launch Metrics, all these technical platforms and tools that are there for people to leverage. And yeah, it's been wonderful. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ashley. I really enjoyed it. Great. Looking forward to the upcoming podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tech Powered Luxury, your weekly podcast on all things luxury and tech. If you have enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe and follow Tech Powered Luxury on Instagram, TikTok, Snap, Twitter, LinkedIn, or sign up to our weekly newsletter. Tech Powered Luxury is proud to partner with GladCloud, the platform that is powering our media campaigns through its collaborative social media marketing platform, which is perhaps how you have discovered the podcast today. We'd love to hear from you if you have any ideas, questions, or would like to join us as a guest. Oh, 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 oh,